All right. I'll switch you right here, OK? Just, you're going you're gonna to have to stick with me for a second. So this is kind of the opportune moment, since I got to change my mic and everything anyway. I feel like we all just need to get along. There's no need to fight. Because in the Bible it says that without what, it's impossible to please God. We don't need to argue about Iowa State and Iowa anymore. We can make it all right. We just all go to faith. Although I, this is, I'm not, I'm not making this up. Just a moment ago, I don't even know why it came to my mind. Pastor Phil, this is honest to goodness truth. I was just sitting there and all of a sudden, I, I was thinking about when I was a senior in high school. I was accepted at Iowa State University for radio and television broadcasting, and I didn't go. I went to faith. I j that just came to me now. I was accepted at Iowa State. I don't know what that means, but I, I think I made the... I'm, Dr. Fouad is back there. I'm just thankful for the Lord's leading however he leads. I don't want to make Dr. Fouad mad at me at all anymore, anymore. So, there we have it. Faith Baptist Bible College. Not Iowa State, not Iowa. There we go. I uh, want to get, keep going here. Keep us on track. I want to say thank you. And I think, I suppose that sometime during this week, Pastor Phil will draw attention to this group of people as well. But I think it's appropriate, at least for me, uh, to say thank you, and I think you'll all agree, uh, for people who have sacrificed their week that they could have been campers here this week, but they've sacrificed that to serve us. And so it's all the staff back, back there, along the back there, whatever, thank you. We appreciate you. Thank you very much. Without you, it, what we're doing here wouldn't happen. So thank you all, all you guys. Appreciate it. Some of you, whatever grade you're in, maybe you want to be here as a camper and you made a sacrifice. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. You are not unnoticed or forgotten. If you have your Bible, turn in your Bible to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter five. I'm going to let you in on a little bit of what's going on in my heart and mind right now before we get into Second Corinthians five. All day long, I have this unsettled feeling. 
Pastor Phil, I've talked with Pastor Phil about it. Talked with some other counselors about it. I talked with my wife about it before I came over here. We prayed together. I, I have a direction in preaching that I believe the Lord has led me, and, and I think there's some, some structure and some logic to the, the way we're going in our preaching. First night was salvation, second night sacrifice or surrender, last night being willing to suffer, being willing to take the difficulties, and we're going to keep going in another subject here, but I'm wrestling because there are still, I know of people here who are still fighting the Lord. There are people here tonight who you know you don't have a relationship with Christ. There, maybe there's two different kinds of people who don't have a relationship with Christ tonight. Maybe there are still some people here who don't have it and don't think it's important and aren't wrestling at all. That's possible. And then there's maybe others here who tonight who you're wrestling, you just don't, whatever reason, you don't want to give in. And, and oh, I just want to talk to you. At the same time, there's this direction that God has led me to, I believe, to talk from the, his word for us who are Christians as well tonight. If you're wrestling with God, whether it's about salvation, whether finally trusting completely, giving yourself completely over to Christ, or that you're wrestling with God and you're fighting with God about some other decision, maybe I could ask a question this way. If you are able to fight God through this week and go home, do you win? Is that winning? I mean, when you fight the God of heaven who, who, who means you no harm, what do you win from that? Is there like a sausage that you win? A piece of candy? <laughs> what, what do we win in that? Does, does that make sense? Are, are, we, are, we, are you with me here? What do we win by fighting the God who would give his only son for us and we can resist that and say no I, maybe and, and so maybe there are some here who um who who are still thinking in your own mind i believe that god is real i believe that heaven is real i believe hell is real i believe there's punishment for sin but i believe that it's a combination. maybe i can may, i don't need to trust christ alone but if i'm a good person God will probably be okay with that, and there's a place in heaven for me. God says differently. We're going to talk about serving God in a moment, but we need, I want to make this super, super clear so we don't get serving God mixed up with doing good to get to heaven. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says it this way, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Notice it's by grace. Grace is what saves us, not our faith. It's through faith, but it's all about grace. That's good news because some days our faith is really good, right? So on the days where our faith is really strong, are we super saved? And then the, when our, on the days when our faith is weak, we're not so saved. It's all by God's grace. And he's allowed by his grace for us by, just by believing in Christ to be saved. For by grace are you saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. 
not, of not a result of works, not of works, so that no one may boast. One reason among many why we cannot do good works to get to heaven, why that disqualifies us even if we try, is because God will not allow boasting to take place in heaven except for the boasting of Christ, of whom we just sang. Jesus is all those things. He's our friend. He's closer than a brother. He loves. But what we just sang, what do we just read and sing? He is the one worthy to open scrolls and glory and honor and fire comes out of him. So he's all those things that are near and dear, but he's also high and lifted up and holy. Oh, guys, seriously, if, you're, if you know that God is working and you're fighting, if, 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 if that's not happening, that's one thing. But if you know, if you know that God is working your heart and you're fighting, who wins? Okay, let's change the subject now. <laughs> Whew, I feel better. But you, you need to work through that. And we need to separate because we're going to talk about serving God and from 2 Corinthians 5, and then we're going to jump back in 1 Corinthians some too. But we need to understand serving, doing good things doesn't get us to heaven. But after we accept Christ, as we've seen, serving God is so important. We're, reading, we're going to read in 2 Corinthians 5. Our text, we're going to spend our time here, is in verses 9 through 11. Our theme for this week, writing for the brand. And tonight I want to talk about why it's so important for every Christian to understand that writing for the brand means serving God with the life he has given us. In 2 Corinthians 5, chapter, uh, chapter 5, verses 9 through 11, Paul gives us just one reason among many, but one reason why obeying God and writing for the brand is so important. What is, what's that reason? Let's look at 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 9. Paul says it this way. So whether we are at home or away, okay, some, some other translation might be, say, present or absent, something like that. What's Paul talking about? Whether I'm alive on this earth or I'm not. So, okay? Whether we are home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Why? Verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body or in this lifetime, whether it be good or evil. Verse 11, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. What's Paul talking about here? What's the reason why I'm going to exhort you, I'm going to encourage you and challenge you to not only surrender, but to serve God with the life he has given you from these verses? What's the reason? And, and keeping in, in, with our theme and writing for the brand and being authentic, and that's serving. Why, what's the reason here? Why? In this verse, Paul says what? I do everything I do. Why? Because someday I am going to stand what the Bible calls, I'm going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And I'm going to give an account for that Christian life that Jesus Christ bought for me with his own blood. Our salvation is completely, totally free. Because of grace, we simply have to believe we will be saved. However... 
We're not just set free to do whatever we want after that. We've been bought with a price, right? We are no longer our own. That's our first night. So surrender and serve because someday, guys, someday we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. First question we might ask, especially for those maybe who've not done much study about this, why should we do it because of the judgment seat of Christ? The question might be asked simply this, what is the judgment seat of Christ? What is it? The Bible talks about in the future there are going to be two judgments. Two judgments. Two thrones. One throne is called the great white throne of judgment. If you find yourself standing before Christ, seated on a great white throne, it's too late. The great white throne will only be for the purpose of punishment. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, but if it's before the great white throne of judgment, it's too late. It's only for punishment. But then there's this other one that the Bible calls the judgment seat of Christ. Romans 14 also talks about this judgment seat of Christ and says, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For what purpose? To give an account, you and I, no matter where you came from, no matter what you did, no matter who you were, if you're a child of God, you will stand someday before the judgment seat of Christ, and you will give an account. You will give a report of what you did with this Christian life that Jesus Christ bought for you. That's the judgment seat of Christ. So, how will we be judged? Paul says we're all going to be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. I want to spend time talking about how will we be judged. You will be judged. I will be judged. How will we be judged? Keep your finger in 2 Corinthians 5 and turn to 1 Corinthians 3. As you turn to 1 Corinthians 3, here's a little history for you. 1 Corinthians, Paul's first letter to the church in the city of Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul is talking specifically to the leaders of the church and how they're serving God how they're building that church because that church is a mess. So, Paul, in the context of 1 Corinthians 3, the context is specifically to church leaders. What we know as 2 Corinthians is actually Paul's third letter to the Corinthian church. The second letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church was not God's word. It was not written under the inspiration of the Spirit, therefore not in the Bible wasn't God's word. It was a letter just sent to those Corinthians to encourage and exhort them. And then he writes what we know as 2 Corinthians. And it's as if they read that first letter. And in this first letter, Paul talks about that judgment seat of Christ. But because of the context, he's talking to leaders. It's as if those Corinthian Christians were saying, that really doesn't apply to us. That, because that's for the leaders. They're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. They're going to be the ones that are judged based on the life that Christ gave them. But for us, we're fine. And then Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, oh, no, we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So if you will, please please go back and read my first letter, 1 Corinthians 3. And in these verses right here, Paul paints a picture of what that day where we stand before the judgment seat of Christ will look like. 
What, that, what is that day going to look like? Paul doesn't do it in like a doctrinal statement. Paul paints a picture. Look at 1 Corinthians 3. Start, we'll start in verse 10. It says this, According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds on it. No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Stop right there. What just happened? Paul is saying, you and I as leaders of the church, and then he's going to apply it to everyone. We're laying, we're, we're, we're building this house, the church of Christ. There's a foundation that's been laid, and it can't be any different. It's always going to be the same foundation because the foundation of the Christian life and the foundation of the church is Jesus Christ. So the, the foundation of church is Jesus Christ, but also of our Christian lives. That moment we're saved, Jesus becomes the, becomes the foundation of a new house. The moment you accept Christ as your Savior, a foundation is laid. And then every day after that, you're building a house. All right, so there we are. There's the foundation. Now we keep reading. Verse 12. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Though he himself will be saved, but only as though through fire. What is Paul talking about? What has Paul just said? Let's take his word picture and let's try to picture it in our own mind. So the day that you and I accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, Jesus Christ becomes the foundation of a new life or a new house, right? Jesus is the foundation. And then what happens after that? People, ourselves, including mostly ourselves, we're building this house. We're building this house little by little, work by work, service by service. We're adding to this house, and the house just keeps getting built and built and built until Jesus calls us home or Jesus comes back at the rapture. That day, our house is done. Whatever the condition is, that's the day it's done. So we have this foundation. We're building a house. And Paul, in these verses, talks about two different kinds of materials. What are the materials? I say two different kinds. He talks about six things, but they're really in two, court, two categories, right? One set, of, one set of materials is what? Gold, silver, precious stones. And then another kind is called wood, hay, and straw. What, what's happening? What's he talking about here? As we build, we have this foundation. You can't choose not to build a house. You're building you're building every single day. It's a matter of whether you're using gold and silver and precious stones. You're serving God. You're doing what God wants you to do. Or wood, hay, and straw. You're just living life. You're saved. You're a Christian. You got that foundation. No one can change it. Paul says so. But everything else after that is just life lived for self. And that's compared to wood, hay, and straw. And what happens next? That house that we built... That house that we built on the foundation of Jesus Christ, there's another part of the picture, and that is what's going to happen when it's the day at that judgment seat of Christ. It's as if I think, I, I, I think that our name is going to be called. How it looks like, what it looks like. Are we going to be going to stand in line? I don't know. But Jesus is going to call our name. Nate Beckman, step forward. And the house that I built is going to be put on display. How is, this, how is it going to be judged? What's the word 
that Paul uses is said that's going to judge my house. One word, what? Fire. In my mind, maybe this is a little, little 12-year-old kid mind or something. In my mind, I pictured like this, this conveyor belt with this big furnace and this, this, like this door that opens up. And when it opens up, you can see the fire inside. And my house, that I, this Christian life that I lived. So he puts, Jesus puts it on the conveyor belt. And this is your life. And then this house and everything might look good. And then it goes through and it goes into that furnace. And as it goes in the furnace, my life is judged with the fire of Jesus's, not punishment, however, Jesus's judgment. And what comes out is what I really did for Christ with the life that Jesus Christ bought for me with his own blood. Is that how it's going to be exactly? Probably not. But that's how I imagine it in my mind. And the things that I did for Christ, the things I did for Christ are, going, are compared to gold, silver, and precious stones. You know this. What happens to gold and silver and precious stones when they're put through a furnace? They don't melt. Well, gold will, but they're also purified. Is there something remaining afterward? Yes, what's remaining after it goes through the fire is purer purer than when it was sitting there before the fire. And what happens to wood, hay, and straw when it goes through that very same fire? It's completely burned up. Nothing left of it at all. And then Paul says this. So verse 13, each one's work will become manifest. It's going to be shown. All of our works, this life that we lived, every deed is going to be in some way judged by Christ. And it's all going to be shown. Everything we did from that time we accepted Christ until the time we go to heaven. It will be revealed by fire. The fire will test what sort of each work has, one has done. If anyone is built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he'll be saved, but only as like going through a house fire. So what's going on here? What are we talking about? How are we going to be judged based on this picture that Paul has painted for Christians to consider in 2 Corinthians 5 and 1 Corinthians 3? How are we going to be judged? I think the first thing that we see here and that we need to really understand very, very clearly, this is part under your number one, we're going to be judged according to our obedience, but praise God for this. Romans 8 verse 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Your first point here that thank God for. We're going to be judged according to our obedience after we're saved. What does it mean? First of all, it means what? There, there is no punishment. What happens on that day, guys, on that day when we stand and the life that Jesus Christ bought for us and that house that we built, there won't be punishment in heaven. You will not be punishment for your, punished for your failures. Is that good news? That's great news. Why? Why won't there be punishment? Because the punishment for our failures and our sin has already been paid for 2,000 years ago. Christ took it all. It's all paid for. There's no punishment in heaven. Is no 
punishment in heaven. But there is judgment. So what are we talking about? We're going to be judged according to the obedience to God, our obedience to God after we're saved, right? There's no punishment. Praise the Lord for that. There is no punishment in heaven. So what is going to, what's, what's this judgment all about then? According to what we've just studied, thought through just a little bit, it means that our works will be judged according to their quality. Not according to punishment and reward. That's it. There is no punishment. We're going to be judged based on the quality of the work, the quality of the life that we live for Jesus Christ after we were saved. Did I use my Christian life to do anything that has eternal value? I want to say it again. Did I do anything? Did I use my Christian life, the life that Jesus Christ bought for me with his own life, for anything that had eternal value? Or did I say, I'll accept Jesus because I want to go to heaven and that's it? For what purpose? What's, what's the purpose of this? Here's good news also. The purpose of this judgment is for the purpose, not a punishment, but for reward. Reward. If any man's work remains after it goes to the fire, the Bible says he will receive a reward. Paul uses words like good and bad in 2 Corinthians five or good and evil and here he's talking about quality he's not not talking about being things that are caused discipline or punishment he's talking about the quality first in first corinthians 3 paul compares this life to a house it's interesting to note also our works are going to be judged right if you're a christian you're going to be judged for the purpose of giving out rewards. What does verse 15 say? If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer what? Loss. Picture this. Maybe you say, well, I don't really care about rewards. You should, but picture this for you who do care. This paints a picture of things, of rewards that Jesus has already prepared for us. Jesus Christ has already prepared rewards for you and me. And I imagine in my mind, in my little maybe 12-year-old mind again, there's that, remember there's that furnace, there's that conveyor belt, and there's this table sitting in back, maybe off to the side because Jesus is on his throne, right? Maybe there's this table, and there's this table of rewards that Jesus has prepared for us. We simply obey Christ. We get these rewards. And if we don't, there's not punishment in heaven. But you guys, in heaven, there will be a moment in time in heaven where for those who did not obey Christ with their lives, they will experience and feel loss and sorrow because all they had to do was serve. They didn't even have to be great at it. They just had to do it. Whatever Jesus asked them to do, they get the reward. So we'll stand before Christ. You and I will stand before, face to face with the one who gave his life so we could have life. 
The one who gave his life so that we could stand there in the first place. He prepared rewards ahead of time. He wants to give us rewards. He wants good things. He wants to reward us. And if we don't do, there's going to be that moment of loss. And in that moment of loss, what would we say? Sorry. These verses... And 1 Corinthians 3, paint the picture of 2 Corinthians 5. And what's the picture they paint? They paint a picture of one Christian who lived his life for Christ and received reward. They paint a picture of another, a Christian who'll spend eternity in heaven, praise God. His salvation can never be taken away because it was never based on works in the first place right? But it paints another, another picture. And Paul uses these words. He'll be saved himself. He will be saved, but as though saved through going through a what? Fire. He'll be saved, but he'll have, basically be saved and he'll have the shirt on his body. And that's all that's left over because everything else was burned up. That's what Paul says. That's the picture that Paul paints as we stand before Christ. The Christian who lived his life for God. The Christian who will spend eternity in heaven but have nothing more than the salvation in his heart to show for this life that Jesus Christ bought for him. That causes me to think of another question. If you were to stand before the judgment seat of Christ today, if for some reason you, had, you were ushered into heaven, into Christ's presence today, and meet him as he sits on that throne. What would your house look like today? What is the condition of your house that you're building called the Christian life right now? Some of you might be thinking, come on, Nate. Come on, man. I'm young. This truth I've been sharing verses each night this week, verses and truths that have transformed my life. I'm, I'm not quite good enough to do stuff that hasn't transformed my life. This one right here came alive to me one year when I traveled for faith. My ministry team was right here at this camp. I was probably 20 at the time traveling on a ministry team, I was sitting right here in the front row as the, as the preacher, the, the, the pastor spoke the message and he spoke, part of his message was 1 Corinthians 3. And I had never considered this before as a Bible college student or as a teenager. I'd never thought of this. Someday my life is going to be judged. Someday I'm not just going to be judged. I'm going to have to stand before Jesus and give a report. I'd never considered that. And I thought, ooh, because you've already heard my testimony, what I did as a teenager. And I thought in my mind at that moment, you were an idiot when you were a teenager. The stuff I did when I worked at Adventureland, the grief I caused my parents, the relationships, the sinful relationships I had. And I thought to myself, if I stand before Christ, oh, please, Lord, don't, 
Don't take me home now and don't come back soon because my house is a wreck. And all I've got is some really good intentions and that's it. My life was transformed by this truth. And then God used another situation, not just for my benefit, because what I'm going to tell you next is not that, but God used another situation the very next year, just after I graduated from faith. I had a friend named Robert. Robert and I went to Grandview together in Des Moines. He's, Robert moved from California. His family moved from California to started going. They moved to Des Moines when we were in seventh grade. Robert came in seventh grade. He and I became good friends. There was a group of us. We did a lot together. Robert, at that time, when we were in seventh graders. He told me why they moved from California to Des Moines. He told me how he was saved through the ministry of the time. His family was saved through the ministry of the time. That church was called Des Moines Baptist Church. Now it's called Grace Church. And his mom and dad wanted him to go to Christian school because they never had that opportunity because they were saved as adults. So Robert told me when he was saved. I have no reason to doubt he wasn't saved. As we grew up, Robert and I stayed in a group of four friends. I won't say the names of the other guys in case their kids are here or something like that. There was a group of four of us. We were always together. And my first time drinking alcohol was with those three other guys, Christian school guys. Fantastic. Robert and my friends drank more than I. My parents kept better track, quite frankly, and asked more questions, and I was always scared of my parents. And then, as you know, I went off to Africa for my junior year of high school. During that junior year of high school, Robert and my two other friends, that group of free, three, they went crazy into drinking. And I remember one of them telling me just before I went to Africa, I was like, man, you gotta, you got to watch yourself. He's like, who's going to catch us? Famous last words. They got heavy into drinking. I go, back, I go to Africa for that junior year of high school. I accept Christ. My life is different. I go back to Grandview. First week of school, we have a general assembly. The principal of school said, hey, there's a student that's just come back. Nate Beckman, stand up and tell us how Africa was. What did you, what, you learn in Africa? And I stood up in that crowd, and the only thing I could say because everyone knew who I was before I said, I stood up and I said, I'm back. just want everyone to know I, I accepted Christ when I was in Africa. And I sat down. Those three friends, that was the beginning of our senior year. Those three friends continued to drink into the beginning of our senior year. That new principal, he had come, and he had come with the intention of cleaning house because there was lots of stuff like that going on at Grandview at the time. A month later, people are getting called in the office like crazy. My three best friends were kicked out of school. They were all given the opportunity to come back to Grandview if they would stop their drinking. My best friend of all, the one who lived in Ames, my best friend was drinking and having sex with his girlfriend. They gave him the opportunity, if you would stop your sin, accept counseling, we'll let you come back and you can graduate. And all these guys, Robert was the one who'd been there the shortest time. He came in seventh grade. The rest of us had grown up together since first grade. One accepted counseling. Robert and my other friend from Ames said, no, nah, we're not stopping. Robert and I lost track of each other. I went off to faith. Didn't see him for really until the end of my senior year at faith. I started hanging around my friend from Ames, trying to be an encouragement to him to try to bring him back and encourage him to come back to Christ. So we met up with Robert one night, and we, and we went and played pool 
And we met up with Robert another night, and my friend and Robert said, let's go play pool at this bar. And I said, I'm not going there. So they said, okay, fine. That was the last time I saw Robert. About a month later, early in the morning, one morning, I get a call from Robert's sister, and she's crying. She said, Nathan, Robert died last night, and our family wants to ask you to be a pallbearer at his funeral. It's going to be held at Grace. So what happened? And she said, last night, Robert and I went to a bar together. We drove separately. Robert followed me home to make sure I would get home safely. He was, seemed to be okay. He followed me home all the way to my house. When I was home, get out of the car, went into my house. He got in his car. He drove away. If you know Des Moines, there, some, there by, not on, on, I think it's I-35, right in the Valley West Mall area, no one knows exactly what happened. All we know, all the officers could tell was Robert's window was down he didn't have his seatbelt on. Somehow his car flipped. He was thrown out of that window. He landed on his tailbone and it put his, sp his spine and his backbone right into his brain. He was killed instantly. So there I was, 21 years old, being asked by Robert's sister to be a pallbearer at his funeral. Went to the funeral there at Grace. And I bawled like a baby. As at that moment, the truth of 1 Corinthians 3 was no longer theory. It wasn't just this idea out in the air. In my mind, I thought, how did Robert meet Christ face to face for the very first time? Robert met Christ face to face for the very first time driving home from a bar. The truth is, guys, if we would have asked Robert a day before, Robert, based on scripture, what does your house look like right now? Robert would have to say, I know it's a mess. I, I got some good stuff in there because I went on some mission trips when I was, when I was in early high school. Yeah, but I, I know and there's, a, there's some wood, hay, and straw, but I got a lot of time. Maybe just the walls are up and I don't even have a roof on yet because I've got time. But in the eyes of God, and the eyes of his Savior, Jesus Christ. What condition was Robert's house in? It was done. So he met Christ face to face. The one who gave his life so that Robert could have it. He met Christ face to face right here. The very first time under the influence of alcohol driving home from a bar. If you were to stand before Christ today, what does your house look like right now? Is there some gold and silver and precious stones? Is there some wood, hay, straw? We're going to be judged according to our obedience. That's not all, though. We're in 1 Corinthians 3, right? Look over at 1 Corinthians 4. How else will, be, will we be judged? Look at 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5. 1 Corinthians 4, 5. What's Paul talking about here? 
We're going to take this from Bible language and make it 2023 language if we can. It says, therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. What else is going to be judged, you guys? Here, this, Paul uses the word, and the, and the ESV, it says, the purposes of the heart. What? What is he talking about? He's talking about our what? Our motives. How are we going to be judged? We're going to be judged according to our motives. Why we did what we did. Not just what we did, but why. Whoa. Have you ever served God because you were forced to? Have you ever done something in church not because you wanted to, but because you had to? Oh, man. That was my whole life until I was saved. My parents, I went to church every Sunday, twice, twice on Sunday, every Wednesday. I never went to church because I wanted to. All that's going to be judged. Super clear right here. There's coming a day when the thoughts in our hearts will be revealed. The reasons that we did the things we did are going to be revealed. What was Paul's motive? We read just a moment ago in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 9, whether absent or present, we want to be pleasing. Paul simply wanted to make Jesus happy. Pleasing to God. Just making Jesus happy. That's what his motive was. What else? He says in verse 11 of 2 Corinthians 5, knowing therefore the fear of the Lord. Paul is talking to Christians and he's saying, therefore, knowing therefore the fear of the Lord. He's not talking to a group of people, talking about the terror of hell. He's talking about knowing therefore how fearful it can be for a moment if we're not ready to stand and meet Jesus face to face in heaven. How fearful that can be for those who are not ready. I persuade men. Paul's motives, he wanted to make Jesus happy. Paul's motives, he had a healthy fear for that day, that respect for that moment when he'll stand face to face with Jesus for the first time. And this makes me ask the question again, why do we do what we do? Why are we living the Christian life that Jesus bought for us the way we're living it? And have you ever done? Or are you in the process of looking good or doing things for Christ, but maybe for the wrong motive? I can tell you, oh man, there are times in my life when I've served God but done it for the wrong reason. And there's no reward in heaven for that. We need to grasp that. We're going to be judged according to our motives. Paul wanted to be pleasing. Paul had a healthy fear of the Lord. That's important for us to remember too. And there's one more thing that I want to end on tonight that I believe is part of the judgment seat of Christ, that moment when we'll stand before Jesus face to face. There's one more thing that I think is often overlooked in this context. 1 Corinthians 3 flows into 1 Corinthians 4. We read verse 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, we read in verse 5, our motive is going to be judged. But there's one more piece of information that I believe is part of that judgment seat of Christ in the future. And I believe it's found in verse 2. To give us some context, look at 1 Corinthians, starting in chapter 4, verse 1. 
This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. And then he says a verse I think you're probably very familiar with. He says it this way. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found, what? Faithful. Paul uses the word steward. Why does he use the word steward? And what is a steward? A steward is a servant. A servant has what? Is he the top dog? No, there's always a master. So the steward is always acting according to to commands, right? The commands of who? The master. Does the master bring stewards in and say, just go do some stuff? Never. There's always a specific job for stewards to do. And in this verse, each steward will be judged according to his what? faithfulness. Did he do what? Did he do the plan of the master, that that, that specific plan that the master gave him to do? Our obedience to God's plan for our lives will be judged specifically. One more statement, then we'll talk about a little bit more. That letter B there. What else is it? I think it's this. Just because we're serving in some way doesn't mean we're doing God's plan for us. Let's talk about this for a moment. Let's unpack it a little bit, okay? Here it says, Paul says, Moreover, it's required of stewards, servants, people who are given orders. If we can think of military terms, there's always ranks. One rank gives another rank orders, and, that, and those orders need to be taken, and they need to be obeyed. We don't get to choose what's based on, based on, simply on commands that are given to us. Here, Paul uses that word. Moreover, it's required of servants that they are faithful. Faithful to what? Faithful to the specific orders given to them. What am I talking about here? I said it already, just because we're doing something doesn't mean we're doing God's plan for us. There's a difference between doing what is good and doing what is best. Let me, let me explain a little bit. Hopefully this will make it even more clear. I've got two teenage young people. Ryan, 18, Hudson, 17. You've seen their picture. You've seen them around. Let's say one day we're having some guests over to our house. Ma'am and I are out doing Bible studies, which is often the case with different people. We hear that guests are coming over to our house for supper. Hey, come on over, no problem. I call up Ryan and Hudson. I say, the Champion family is coming over to our house tonight. We don't have time to come home and get everything ready. So here's what we're going to do. Mom and I, we're going to go buy some food at the market. We're going to bring it home. Here's what we want you to do. We want you to set the table, get it all ready to go. So all we have to do is bring the food in the house. We'll put the food on the table. We can serve it. We're good. Secondly, there's some stinky garbage. Take the stinky, stinky garbage out. If you've ever been in Asia or if you've ever been in an Asian restaurant and you get different smells going on, think about how bad the garbage smells. Oh, yeah, it's bad. So take that stinky garbage out, okay? Ryan Hudson, got it? Got it. Good. Two hours later, we pull into the driveway. We see Ryan and Hudson playing with Naya outside. They're on the tree swing. They're trying to get some mangoes from the mango tree out in our, in our front yard. We get out of the car and say, hey, appreciate Appreciate your help, guys. We got, our, we got the bags of food in our hand. Thanks for setting up the table. Thanks for taking the garbage outside. Ryan Hudson reply, we didn't set the table. We didn't take the garbage outside, but all of our homework is done for the day. We're good for tomorrow. Is getting homework done a good thing to do? Absolutely. Very good. 
I wouldn't want them not to get their homework done. But in this context, in this moment, what did doing their homework, which is normally good, what did it become? It became disobedience. So what would normally be good, in this case, became disobedience. What am I supposed to do with disobedience? And I fear you guys more than fear. I believe that there are churches full of Christians, especially in America today. I believe there are, there are churches full of parents and young people, people who have been in church a long time, who are doing that very same thing, but doing with God. God has laid a burden on their heart. God has something specific for them. I want to go back to that verse that I just passed up a moment ago. Ephesians 2.10, I believe, gives us a clear understanding that God has some specific things for us to do. Not this general, just do some good stuff. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship. That word workmanship, if I say the original language, you're going to catch what it means right away. The original language is poema, meaning poem. No two poems are the same. We are God's poem created in Christ Jesus for good works. We were saved. Jesus saved you to do good works. Jesus saved you to serve him, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Jesus saved you. There was a moment in your life, if you're a Christian, there was a moment when you accepted Christ and he became the foundation of your, of your life. But there was a time before that, sometime in eternity past, that God prepared works for you to do ahead of even your salvation. He prepared them beforehand. We simply do them, we get reward, hallelujah. There's something that God has specifically for you because you're a specific, special creature, creation. There's not this general, just go do some good. And the church is full, full of people who think who God has burdened them. Maybe God has called them to things like missions. Maybe God has called them to be a youth pastor or a pastor. Or maybe it's not even full time. God has called them to be a Sunday school and they're satisfied to be a deacon. Or maybe they're satisfied being a deacon when they should be teaching. Or they should be getting more involved in evangelism, but they're satisfied in working with children's church. Whatever it is. Trading out one service for the other, if it's not God's plan for us, can't be called obedience. And this is all part, if the Bible's true, and if I, have my, if I have my interpretation correct, this is all part of what it says. Moreover, moreover, it's required of stewards, servants who are given responsibilities to be found faithful. Faithful to what? Faithful to the plan that the master gave you. So we don't get, always get to pick and choose. You guys, this is part of authentic discipleship. This is part of authentically writing for the brand. Not just doing something, but doing exactly what Christ has asked you to do. Oh, guys, we need to get a hold of this truth.
It may not be at the highest level of your priorities right now, but someday you'll stand before Christ. There's coming a day, there's coming a moment, well, that will be the only concern you have in your heart. And it doesn't have to be bad or scary. Live for God. Do what's right. Obey Christ. Be faithful. Here it doesn't even say it's required of a a steward that he be found good, excellent at the job. You don't have to be great at it. You just have to be faithful. You don't have to be the best. You don't have to be the goat. Just be faithful and you'll be rewarded. And you'll get to hear those words that we long to hear from the one who gave his life so we could have it. Good job. Well done. Because he wants to say that to us all. Jesus wants to say that to you. Just be faithful. But maybe you need to take a moment and make some commitments. You've made, many of you have made and step, stood up making commitments that you're willing to suffer. Are you willing simply to be faithful to the specific job that Jesus has given to you? Even if you don't know what it is right now, you say, I will be faithful. Maybe that's the decision you need to make in this series of messages and sermons that we're working through and talking about writing for the brand. If we were to stand before Christ tonight, what would your house look like? What would be left over and what would be burned? Let's pray. Every head's bowed, every eye's closed. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for specifically you who you know God is working in your heart. I don't know your name, so I won't embarrass you. I couldn't, because I don't know your name, I couldn't embarrass you by name from here. Just want to simply give you an opportunity to say, Pastor Nathan, God's working in my heart. I, I want to obey him specifically and his specific plan for my life, and I want to be ready for that day I stand before Christ. If Christ is working, God is working in your heart right now, and you know he's working, would you raise your hand so I could pray for you? Is there anyone? Thank you. Thank you. Hands all over. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Make a commitment even now. You can put your hand down. Thank you. Make a commitment right now as we pray. Lord, I'm a little scared, but my commitment tonight is simply to be faithful to your plan for me. Help me to be faithful. God, we come before you now humbled that you would use us even. We want to step up to the plate and we want to be faithful stewards, faithful to the plan that you've given to us. Not just do stuff, but faithful. Work in hearts right now. Have victories. Have victories in hearts, maybe even of those who are still fighting right now. Win, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.